Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hello and welcome back into another episode of The Hard Foul. I'm your host, Pearson Fowler. With me as always from GamecockCentral.com, Colin Taylor. It's been a couple of weeks, but we've got some breaking South Carolina news to discuss. And frankly... Despite the fact that we've been in quarantine, we've been as busy as ever. Colin, I know you have a bunch of interviews scheduled today. We're going to talk about those, a couple of them that will certainly interest Carolina fans. Uh, I'm including this one in that list of a bunch of interviews today. I don't know if you count that necessarily. Hopefully this is uh, this is pleasure and not work for you, although this will end up being work. This will end up being posted on GameCockCentral.com. But it's been a couple of weeks. How have you been? What's new in the life of Colin Taylor's quarantine? I feel like there's really nothing that's ever new uh, at this point in in our lives um, outside of you, you tell the days just based on how many press conferences you have to watch. Um, but we've gotten to talk to Frank Martin a little bit, well, Muschamp, Mark Kingston. So we're slowly getting back to be, at least being able to talk to these guys and, and discuss sports. So um, that's positive. Yeah, yeah, it's it's been – we got to hear from Will Muschamp, which is always that's, – that's the barometer of like how normal – are things not that we get to hear from him much, but uh, and frankly, maybe it would have been more normal if we didn't hear from him at all. But we got to hear his teleconference the other day, and you know, getting all the coaches' thoughts on what they think about their respective seasons, and with football maybe being at risk of having their season, you know, cut short on the front end, and obviously Frank Martin having a season cut short on the back end. It's just been interesting to sort of see how they're processing it and how they're dealing with quarantine. Uh, Will Muschamp said that he's been watching Bloodline to kind of fill his time. I think Frank Martin said just spending a lot of time with his family. Uh, did he mention like a particular show or anything that he's been doing uh, in particular Frank, to pass quarantine? Frank didn't get asked that, but I will say this. Jeff Goodman did a poll and about TV shows that they're watching and movies that they can watch in quarantine. Frank said The Godfather and I think Chicago PD or Chicago Fire was his <laughs> other was his TV show. All right. Interesting. Uh, yeah. Godfather makes sense. I'm a little bit surprised by... Chicago Fire or Chicago PD, whichever one. So that's uh, that's kind of interesting. That's pretty funny. Uh, Mark Kingston said he's been watching Ozark, which has been a really popular pick. A lot of people that I know have been crushing Ozark. Are you an Ozark fan? I have not watched it, but that's next on my list. Okay. I am. The fiance and I are watching Marvelous Miss Maisel currently. Mm, very good. Uh, which is phenomenal. Mm-hmm. Um, and I started Veep a while ago and am using this time to finish up Veep now. Excellent. I stopped watching Veep after uh, Armando Iannucci, who started it and ran the show for like the first five seasons, he left. And that's pretty much when I stopped watching. But I heard it was great, and I heard the the last season was fantastic. So I'll have to get around to watching it. Um, but that's really good. Yeah, Maisel, awesome. Uh, my girlfriend and I have been watching Barry on HBO, which is tremendous. Are you a Bill Hader fan? I love Bill Hader. So have you seen Barry? I have not, but okay. I it's so hard to like, you have to pick and choose your spots of when you can watch shows mm-hmm. and because you're so busy throughout the year. So um, I'm using this time. So it's on the list. Um, hopefully I get some time to catch up on all the shows that I haven't been able to watch yet. Very good. Yeah. A uh, quick pitch for Barry. For those of you that haven't seen it, that don't know what it's about. Uh, well, actually here's, here's the best selling point right now. Two seasons, eight episodes each, and they're 30 minutes, so you can really bang it out. It's not like, oh, you have to watch it, and there's 45 seasons, and the first 20 are kind of slow, but then it gets worth it. It's it's just really, really good from the beginning. It's uh, Barry plays a guy. He's a former Marine who comes back to the United States and becomes a hitman, and then dis- the show picks up with him deciding that he's tired of being a hitman, and instead he wants to pursue a career in acting. So... I will say I won't say hilarity ensues, but I will say dark, dark, dark comedy ensues. But anyway, it's uh, it's brilliant. So that's what I've been doing to pass the quarantine. Uh, and as I mentioned, we've been still pretty busy. There, we haven't really had to dig too deep into the bag of tricks, as it were, dip too deep in the well for content for you know South Carolina basketball. There was plenty of conversation that you and I had about wrapping up the season. What does it mean for the season? 
And still larger questions remained about what would the roster look like for next year, a roster that people are generally optimistic about. And so we'll go ahead and get started with the big news of the day, the big news of the week, and frankly, the biggest story of the South Carolina offseason right now. And that is Jair Bolden's decision to transfer. This came out yesterday, I guess, afternoon. And the implications of this are huge. But Colin, before we start to talk about that and, and what it means for South Carolina's roster for 2020, 2021, uh, what do you know about Jair's decision to transfer? Yeah, I think that with, with Jair, um, it's almost like he kind of saw the writing on the wall that this was going to be a very guard heavy lineup that, you know, even if he comes back and lights the world on fire, it's going to be really hard to, you know, put together 25, 30 minutes a game just because they have, as of right now, Jermaine Kusnard, TJ Moss, Trey Hannibal, AJ Lawson, and the bringing seventh woods back. So it's a crowded guard room, and sometimes guys just want, you know, a fresh start, and guys want to uh, go someplace where their role can be maybe a little bit bigger, and that's obviously kind of where Jair falls in that category. It was nothing to do with Frank. Uh, It was nothing to do. I saw some rumors out there that it was, you know, well, Frank, you know, yelled at him, so he wanted to leave. No, that's not the case. Um, Just a guy that was looking for, obviously, a little little bit more opportunity, and um, he you can't fault him for it. I, at least I can't because guys want to go out there and play. And if those minutes get cut into and you're having to compete with five or six guys um, just to play, let alone play significant minutes, um, that can be hard on a guy. Yeah, no doubt about it. And I, I can't say that I'm – I'm with you. Like, I don't blame him. I, I was going to say I can't say I'm surprised because, again, we knew that it was probably going to be one guard at least because it's going to be such a – it's going to be such a slog to find minutes in South Carolina's backcourt. But I'm a little bit surprised that it was Jair, and we can talk about some of the other potential candidates there and whether or not there's any news on on that front. But towards the end of the season, and I guess as we did, maybe it was our first season recap, you and I started to look ahead to next season for South Carolina, and neither of us thought it was unrealistic that Jair could, after he spent the back half of the season really adjusting to his role coming off the bench, he seemed like someone that could turn into a nice spark plug scorer off the bench. And it didn't seem out of the realm of possibility that he could be an 11-point-per-game scorer for South Carolina coming off the bench, maybe have himself in the conversation for six-man of the year in the SEC next year. It felt like there was a lot of potential. It felt like he was getting more comfortable in that role. Uh, Given that, were you surprised that it was Jair and not T.J. Moss or somebody else that decided to transfer? I mean, I was shocked it was Jair. And, um, I mean, I remember I was, of course I was, but news decides to break and come out when I can't get to a computer. So I was in the middle of a run yesterday when the news about Jair broke. Um, so of course I wasn't, I had to sprint back to my house to get working, but I became the best uh, run of your life in like five seconds. Yeah, no, I like ran the fastest mile I've ever run trying to like get back to my house. But, um, yeah, I mean, I, I was, when I first saw the name, I was kind of shocked, but the more I thought about it and the more I, you know, heard things, it was like, okay, I kind of, get it and yeah he was going to I don't think there was any question that he was going to come off the bench and it's a matter of if that guy really wants to accept that role and if he doesn't then I don't blame him for wanting to get a fresh start and going somewhere where he could potentially start so um, that was kind of the biggest thing for me is that yeah it was a shock at the time but the more I thought about it the more I kind of realized I understand where he's coming from and wanting to maybe go somewhere where there are starter minutes to be had All right, so I don't really know how else to ask this question. So I'll just say it like this: when you're when you're thinking, uh, like obviously his his being Jair issue was not, you know, slots on the team. Essentially, it wasn't scholarships or anything like that because he had that. You know, it was his if he wanted it. But it it was just because there were you know four maybe five other guards that are going to be competing for minutes. You'd like to think that he wants to stick around and, and try to compete for those minutes but the way I see it Jair transferring opens up a scholarship for something relatively unexpected like maybe AJ Lawson staying which we can talk about in just a minute sort of if there's any update on that or somebody transferring in that's how I'm thinking about it more than necessarily minutes because we know that Jair can can play the minutes and yeah with Seventh Woods coming in maybe he doesn't get as many but Jair was usually playing at least as many if not more minutes than Trey Hannibal so if he comes back next year, he's probably the 
third guard on the team, depending on what seventh can do. You know, point is, I, I wasn't thinking about it as much from the minutes perspective and more just from, like, the roster perspective and how many good guys can you put on your roster because we know that Frank has no problem playing 11 guys in a game if he needs to. So there were going to be games when Jair was going to be leaned on. There were games when he would probably play three minutes. There were games when he would probably play 27 minutes. So that that's just kind of part of playing for a Frank Martin team. So why was it Jair? And, and look, this is this is a mean question. So I'm going to ask it meanly, and then you will have to give like the correct response because you're a, a more impartial reporter than I am, and I'm just going to put you in a, in a weird spot here. But why was it Jair and not somebody like Mike Green or TJ Boss that just wasn't going to factor in at all next year anyway? Sometimes it's not. When you have players that transfer, <clears throat> sometimes it's not about coaches pushing them out or coaches saying, you know, you can come back, but you won't play. Sometimes it's truly up to the player. Um, and I think this is one of those cases where, you know, it was truly up to the player that, I mean, you look at last year, Felipe Hase um, was probably going to have a place on the team and probably going to be playing some good minutes and decides to transfer to go play with one of his, you know, former high school coaches at Mercer. It just happens. Guys want a new start. And I think that's where you're getting with Jair is that it wasn't necessarily a bad relationship. It wasn't a relationship that was strained. It was just a guy looking for another chance. And I think that was a him decision and less of a, a coaching or, you know, minutes decision based off that. I think that was Jair kind of saying, I want a fresh start and I want to go someplace where I could potentially become the guy on the team and start and, and play the point guard and, and do all that instead of coming off the bench and, and playing when, when, you know, other guys aren't playing well or having inconsistent minutes. The other thing that you look at with a decision like this is it's April 9th. We're a long way away from even the start of the 2020-2021 season, camp, practice, all those things. But Jair Bolden's in practice every day, and he knows the strengths and weaknesses of this team, of the guards, of each individual player, better than anybody. Well, I mean, anybody that's not on the team. So part of the calculation could have also been, because, again, I'm sitting here and saying, hey, Jair Bolden was already in the mix he might be beating Trey Hannibal out for minutes, which means he's basically just behind A.J. Lawson and Jermaine Cousinard. There's no guarantee that 7th, I mean, I think people have a, a lot of expectation for 7th, and Frank Martin said good things about 7th, but he's still going to be coming in after basically having a year off from basketball. It's going to be a little bit of an adjustment. I, I still feel like there's a roadmap there for Jair, but he had to make this decision now so that he can get into school somewhere else or, or figure out what he's going to do for this upcoming basketball season. But does that say to you, that Carolina fans now should have more confidence in Trey Hannibal and 7th Woods if Jair was looking at him and saying, yeah, those guys were going to be taking my minutes even if they weren't this year? Yeah, I think it speaks a lot to the depth on this team and a lot to the depth that Jair saw every day. The fact that he saw Trey Hannibal and saw 7th Woods every day in practice and realized that's going to be some pretty stiff competition. And I think, and I know we'll talk a little bit about it, it probably lends itself to thinking that, you know, there could be another guard returning. Um that maybe he didn't anticipate returning earlier in the season. So, um, yeah, I think that this is a testament less to Jair's ability, which is what he has. I mean, he's a great, you know, when he gets hot, he gets hot. South Carolina did not beat um, Virginia without him, but it's more of a testament to the depth that South Carolina's built over the last two or three classes with the guards they have. Yeah. Well, you mentioned what it means in terms of the, roster or the scholarship availability for somebody coming back again at the end of the season you and I were like hey if everybody comes back this is going to be a really good team there's going to be a lot of depth there's going to be a lot of options it's going to be a, you know really nice for Frank Martin but also they're not all going to fit on the team so some other shoe is going to have to drop and we knew that it would we didn't know exactly what it would look like now we know what at least this shoe looks like there could still be other shoes that drop over the course of the offseason but of course we buried the lead here a little bit the first thing you think of when Jair Bolden transfers is great now South Carolina has that free scholarship in case A.J. Lawson wants to come back. What are you hearing? I know there's nothing official yet on A.J., but are you hearing any rumblings one way or the other? The rumblings are good. Um, the rumblings with every day that passes usually tends to mean that it's a good sign that South Carolina, he's coming back to South Carolina. That's not definite in no way, shape, or form. Um, and there's a chance he could not even declare for the draft, but as of right now, it looks pretty good that 
AJ Lawson can come will more than likely come back, but it's not a foregone conclusion. I will say that eight hundred times, it's not a foregone conclusion, but it's positive in terms of AJ Lawson coming back to school. Um, now the question becomes: Does he declare for the drafting of the process, or does he just decide to just scrap that and say I'm coming back for my junior year and uh, not even bother with the draft process? I think it's fair to say that a big factor in this has been the fact that everything is closing down and we're practicing social distancing to try to stop the spread of COVID-19 because now players are not allowed to go have in-person workouts with teams and there's not going to be a draft combine. And I think those were things that AJ was going to heavily rely on given how statistically disappointing last season was for him. In some ways, is it... I asked this very sarcastically the other day, and I won't do the, I won't phrase it the exact same way. But were it not for COVID nineteen and basically everything in the draft process and the pre-draft process shutting down, do you feel like AJ would? Again, it's not official. We don't even really know which way he's leaning. It just sounds like maybe he is thinking more earnestly about coming back than he was a couple of months ago. How much of that has to do with the fact that he doesn't have all this pre-draft rigmarole? to help boost boost his stock. Yeah, I mean, that's a lot to do with it. I think that, you know, for a guy like AJ, he was going to really have to use um, that pre-draft workouts, the pre-draft interviews, getting in front of GMs, getting in front of scouting directors, and proving his worth. Um, just because he did have such an inconsistent year, he needed to get out there and prove in workouts that he could knock down shots, he could play consistently. And when you don't have that, it's going to be really hard for – anyone like him to get considerable looks um, unless you're like a surefire lottery or surefire first round pick. This draft is going to be very, very thin because of it, because these guys that are fringe second rounders, fringe draftable guys, they're not really going to have a lot of chances to get in front of people and prove their worth. And AJ falls into that category that I think really gets impacted because of it. And, when you're not able to get in front of these GMs and go to the combine and go to all these places, then you're going to struggle to really move up draft boards. And that's, that's where AJ sits right now. And um, unless you're an Anthony Edwards, unless you're James Weissman or um, all these other, you know, locks to be drafted in the top 14, it's going to be, it, it, you're making, it's a calculator risk going and staying in the NBA draft this year. Yeah, well, the other part of it is that that wasn't his only option. He could have transferred. He could go play professional basketball either back in Canada where he's from or in Europe. And again, COVID-19 makes it a little more difficult because if that's why the NBA is shutting down, then we don't even know what the future of a season is, especially in Europe, somewhere where it seems like COVID-19 has hit a little bit harder than it has here in the United States, at least so far, and fingers crossed on that. But for, did you get the sense that for AJ it was always NBA or bust, or was he just trying to play professionally somewhere? Like, is there still a chance that even if he doesn't declare for the NBA draft, that he could try to, if things settle down in a timely fashion in Europe, try to pursue that route rather than come back to South Carolina, or is South Carolina his second option? No, I think South Carolina. It's either I think it's either the NBA or South Carolina. Um, they love him and his family. Love South Carolina. Um, Frank Martin said that, I know AJ said that. So, um, this is not a situation where he's trying to get out. Um, this is a situation where he wants to go to the NBA and if he doesn't, then it's more than likely than not, he's ending up back at South Carolina. What? Hmm. If AJ Lawson, can we assume that just for the sake of like the next 10 minutes of conversation, that AJ Lawson's coming back because it's not clear that he's leaving. Can we just play this out hypothetically in full disclaimer? We're not saying officially that AJ Lawson's coming back. It just seems like there's a better chance than there was a couple months ago. Can we just say that as yeah. a disclaimer? All right. Let's do it. So AJ Lawson's coming back. What does he need to do to reassert himself as the leader of this team? Or does he not need to be the leader of this team? I don't think he needs to be the leader. Um, he really settled into his role this year once Jermaine took over of a guy that can come down and, and just be a player. I think AJ's better when he's just playing um, than when he doesn't have that leadership or that vocal guy role on the team. And you saw that once Jermaine took over as AJ kind of started playing a little bit more freer, 
a little bit less uptight, which is kind of what he was doing in non-con. Um, so if he, you know, he's, if, if he's back, he's, he's your number two behind Jermaine in terms of being a vocal leader. And that's really all you need because Jermaine, we've talked about it before. He's your Cinderace. He's going to be the one, the guy that, that whips people into shape and, um, AJ doesn't need to be that guy anymore. And I think he goes into his junior year with a well-defined role mm-hmm. compared to what it was as a sophomore and then as a freshman. You've talked to AJ a lot more than I have. Do you feel like he would be comfortable with that? I, I think we both agree that that's where he's better. And I, I think his top priority is just going to be to play better this year than last year. But he's a guy that does have pro aspirations. He thought he was going to go to the NBA no matter what, at the end of the season, and were it not for some unfortunate circumstances, he may have, and frankly, he still could, as we talked about. Man, that's part of our disclaimer. But if he if he wants to go to the NBA, if he wants to boost his draft stock, do you not feel like he feels pressure to be the guy in some capacity? Yeah, I mean, I think that there's always a part of him that's going to want to be that, but I think he understands his role. And the back half last season, he wasn't the vocal guy. He wasn't that leader type, and he settled into that role pretty well and South Carolina had success because of it. And um, when you have good leaders like Jermaine and Justin Manaya, then it helps. Um, he doesn't, it, it takes some of the pressure off him that he can lead at his own pace. He can lead at his own way. And there's not, you know, 12 or 13 guys that are looking up to him to lead. Um, he can just kind of help out Jermaine and help out Justin when, when need be. And, I think he settled into that role really, really nicely um, during conference play and then kind of when Jermaine was kind of settling into that you know, vocal leader role that he took over. Yeah, I mean, we really did. I, I remember, I mean, I don't remember the specific numbers now, but I remember you and I really tracking the turnover numbers, and he had probably, what, four of his last six games or something like that? He had zero turnovers after having at least two a game for basically a month or two, and there was you know one game with one turnover in there, maybe one with two. But he really seemed, like you said, to settle into that role a little bit more. That's the best case for scenario for South Carolina. The, the, the only worry that I have is that A.J. comes back and tries to be the guy and tries to do too much. And, you know, I mean, Frank's not one to necessarily let guys run, especially A.J. Lawson, who had kind of a shorter leash by the end of the season. So I, I think Frank would probably nip that in the bud if it, if it started to happen. But if A.J. is comfortable coming back into that role, this backcourt, this one-two punch for South Carolina – um, you know, I haven't looked really around the rest of the conference yet, but that, that's got a lot of potential to be like one of the better backcourts in the SEC already. Oh, absolutely. I mean, you take a guy that's, you know, NBA level good in AJ and pair him with Jermaine, who has the ability to turn into an NBA player before everything's said and done. That's, I mean, there are not many backcourts like that. Mm-hmm. And when you pair the talent around them with a Keyshawn, with a Justin, with, you know, whoever you're going to play at the five and, and, you know, seventh woods, a former 150 kid coming off the bench with Trey Hannibal, a 150 kid and Jalen McCreary and will, you know, Alonzo Frank. And you pair those guys with AJ and Jermaine. I mean, there's a chance next year's team could be pretty damn good. I think we did this in the midway point of last season when AJ was really slumping. And I said, what's one thing he needs to do to turn it around I will ask you again, you know, now that the entire 2019-2020 season's in the rear view, and I'm going to make you be really specific. So just as a way of example, three-point shooting or free-throw shooting or two-point shooting or assists up or turnovers down or better defensive efficiency, what's one piece of AJ's game that if he improves it this offseason will make the most difference in his game and the fate of the South Carolina basketball team next year? Turnover rate. Turnover rate and three-point shooting. So just Those the percentage of, of of turnover rate, um, I'm I'm doing this for me and for people listening. Turnover rate is the uh, percentage of... Percentage of... of uh, you touch the ball that... That the ball gets turn turned over. over. Yeah, yeah. Or, or like, is it, is it possessions used in which you turn the ball over? I believe so. All right. Do you happen to have his uh, turnover rate in front of you right now? I do. It is 17%. So give us some other guys on the team or maybe around the conference that sort of contextualize that. Jermaine was at 17. Um, Keyshawn was at 20. Um, I'll look at some of the other ones. Um, Trying to think. Kentucky's got some good guards. Um, Ashton Hagen's 
actually had a pretty high turnover rate. Uh, but Tyrese Maxey was below him. Emmanuel Quickly was below him. Um, I'm looking at some others. My computer will load. Um, Mason Jones was below him. Um, Jimmy Witt was below him. Isaiah Joe was below him. So when you're talking about turnovers, he's kind of middle of the pack. Bree and Tyree and Devontae Shula were both below him. So he needs to improve on that. That's his big thing. Mm -hmm. But 17 is not a disastrous number. It's not like he's the worst in the SEC and he has to become like the one of the best. He just has to get a little bit better. Marginally better there. His assist numbers need to go up too. Um, His assist rate was 12. Um, And just looking at Brian Tyree and Devontae Shuler, I'm on their page right now. Brian Tyree, AJ was at 12. Brian Tyree is at 18. Devontae Shuler was at 21.6. You know, Mason Jones is at 23.1. Jimmy Witt was at 12.4, which is comparable. Um, It's just, 12 is a pretty low number for a guard in terms of assist rate, yeah, even he, if he's not handling it. He was down an entire assist per game. His freshman year, he averaged 2.9 assists. Last year, 1.9 assists. But you think it's more important for him to limit the turnovers even more than getting the assist numbers back up? Yeah, we'll say, how about we'll say assist rate to turnover rate needs to improve. Okay, um, all right. That, that is one stat. I was going to try to make you be more specific, but you have uh, won the semantics battle here. Assist-to-turnover ratio is is the thing that A.J. Lawson needs to do the best. Yeah. Uh, not even, like, so three-point shooting was, was fine, 34%. He did only shoot 41.5% from the field. Like, do you chalk that up to him just having too many shooting slumps? Did, in your opinion, now that you're looking back on the whole season, do you feel like his shot selection was poor or could have improved or should improve? Or is it really just a matter of him playing more within the offense? I mean, there were a couple shots. If I was AJ, I wouldn't take. And then you look back at the Alabama one um, more specifically, but that's really the only bad shot I can remember him taking. So um, it's just a matter of consistently knocking it down. He struggled with that some. He went through shooting slumps and shooting highs. And if you can limit that and limit the slumps to a game or two games instead of, you know, three or four or you know, a week or two weeks at a time, then – that'll improve and and you need to be better at that but he's he's got the ability to knock it down when he wants to and when he needs to so if he can just be more consistent on the day in day out shooting i think he's going to be a pretty good offensive player for south carolina jermaine kusnard aj lawson Keyshawn bryant justin Minaya, wildens of or one of the freshmen Probably Wildens, if we're gonna if i put money on it right now um that's without any really inside information but um, more than likely Wildens or Alonzo as your five. And if I was going to build a lineup, it'd be Wildens. Joe Lenardi, I don't know if that's exactly what he's thinking the lineup is, but he has said already in his way too early season prediction for next year. And by the way, as a quick aside, before we get into what he thought about South Carolina, I know you're not in the business of making predictions because we didn't even do it like the day before a game on this podcast, other than the occasional reverse jinx. But what do you make of Joe Lenardi's predictions for who's going to make the tournament in March of 2021 on April 2020? Are you like, yeah, he knows enough that he that this is probably a decent prediction, or is this just like content? I mean, it's a decent prediction. I mean, Lenardi knows his stuff, and it's it can be both. How about that? Um, All right. I'll, tow, I'll tow a weird semantic line there, but it Lenardi knows his stuff, and if he does that then um he, let me start over Lenardi knows his stuff if he predicts that that usually means the team's going to be good does being good translate to making the tournament all mm. the time no um south carolina is a legitimate tournament team next year uh, with tournament aspirations and it should be you're experienced you're talented you're deep and for all intents and purposes, you should probably make the tournament with the, the core that you have right now. Um, that being said, South Carolina needs to improve on a few things. And um, in terms of your non-conference, putting that together and winning. Um, and if they can do that, they'll be a tournament team. I think Lenardi's on to something. Mm-hmm. Now, Andy Katz had him as a, a play-in game this year. Um and that wasn't necessarily going to be the case. We don't know that for sure. But, you know, if they had 
lost to Arkansas, they more than likely weren't going to make the tournament. Um, but they're going – South Carolina's going to be a team that's going to be on the ball most of the year, and uh, it, it's going to depend on them to um, get on the right side of that at the end, and I think that they have the talent to do it. Well, that's exactly what the prediction was, and if South Carolina fans believe you, which they should, that it is both for Joe Lenardi, it is both just content and also a reasonable, reasonable prediction – and I think Carolina fans will be more than happy to believe strongly in the half that says it is a good prediction because, like we just said, he has predicted South Carolina to make the tournament in 2020, 2020, 2021. I'm sort of in the camp that I feel like it needs to happen. This will be year nine for Frank Martin, and yes, year eight was incomplete, and yes, South Carolina still could have made the tournament, and that is always going to be just a big question mark, a big asterisk, uh, a big asterisk historically. And as we talked about at the end of the season, it has more to do with are you an optimistic or pessimistic person in terms of what you feel like the end of the season was going to hold for South Carolina and what that subsequently means for Frank Martin. I think it's important for Carolina to make the tournament for Frank Martin, for this team, for the fan base, for just the University of South Carolina men's basketball program in general. And I think they're set up to do it not just because they're talented, but because typically when we have seen South Carolina struggle through the non-con part of their schedule, it's been because they're really breaking in a lot of new pieces and other than a starting center, and yes, replacing Mike Coatsar is going to be a huge task given how important he was for South Carolina this year, especially defensively, but improving his offensive game, improving his rebounding, just being an amazing story. And we've talked about him a ton, and we could probably talk about him more and still not talk about him too much because it was just such a good year. But the lack of roster turnover, at least at this point on April 9th, has me really encouraged that there will be uncharacteristic continuity in the early part of the 2021 season, which could make a huge difference come tournament time. Yeah. And I mean, South Carolina's experience this year, um, Ken Palm calculates that they were at 1.8 years of experience, which is 325th out of 353 teams in division one basketball. So they're one of the youngest teams in basketball returning potentially. If AJ comes back, your leading score, your second leading score, um, your three, your four, you lose your five. I mean, but you bring back, I think, eight of your top 11 minute getters as of right now. Um, if AJ decides to come back. So, yeah, there's this team's going to be good. And I think you're going to see that early on. And then you saw it in, in 16 um, when they had some experience. They started 15 and 0. Um, you saw it in 17 when they beat Michigan and Syracuse and almost beat Seton Hall and, you know, obviously did what they did at the tournament. But when you have experience and guys that have been through the wars, you don't tend to see the bad losses creep up as much as they do when you're breaking in a bunch of freshmen and sophomores. Will the identity of this team be the same that it's been the last couple of years? Because this has been a more wide-open Frank Martin basketball team than we've ever seen in South Carolina, you know, towards the top of the conference and towards the top of the country the last couple of years in pace, playing a lot in transition, shooting more threes, playing a little more pace and space. And it was frankly more doable because you've had really athletic bigs and Chris Silva and Mike Coates are, well, I don't know. So, so I, I, not to diss Mike after all the great things that I just said about him and that you we've said over the course of the year. Yeah. He's, he's not a great athlete, but he can move well for someone his size. Like he can't jump. But he's someone that you can – he can run the floor. He can run a fast break all by himself, which I guess speaks more to his skill necessarily than athleticism. But they're not going to have that with Wildens. And the other piece that they're going to have this year that they haven't had the last couple of years is a real tried-and-true point guard, the first one that they've had since P.J. Dozier. You know, A.J. Lawson, I, I guess ostensibly being the point guard a couple of years ago, and then most of last year, at least half of last year, A.J. was kind of the point guard, and sometimes Jair, and then by the end of the season it was Jermaine. But now that Jermaine is the true – point guard and you can trust him to dish dimes and orchestrate an offense and break down defenses whether off the dribble or with a pass can Carolina afford to play a little more traditional Frank Martin defense first a little bit slower basketball with a tried and true point guard and a five that's not going to be able to run the floor as well as Mike and Chris Silva could in the last couple years yeah I think so um if they want to uh but I also think that they got the ability to put seventh out there imagine a lineup that looks like this because you could play your typical Jermaine Kustard, AJ Lawson, just, you know, Keyshawn Bryant, 
Justin Manaya and then Wilden, and you could slow it down a little bit if you wanted to. You could play up up tempo a little bit. But I think they're going to have the ability, if they want to, to slow it down, but then also really speed it up. Could you imagine a lineup with Seventh Woods, uh, Jermaine Cousin at the two, AJ Lawson at the three, Keyshawn at the four, and then Jalen at the five? Mm. Or and Justin you just at the go five. Out there, or Justin at the five, and then, I mean, just you put them out there and you let them run. Mm. They could play up tempo. They could play, they could slow it down. Um, I think they're going to have the ability to kind of mix and match how they want to play better than they did this year. Um, because you're going to have a little bit more versatility. Not that I, I mean, I love Mike to death, um, but you know, and he guarded so well, but he was a bigger guy. Um, I wouldn't necessarily consider him a speed demon, but um, you're going to be able to run a little bit. And I think that that's going to really help, but losing Mike obviously hurts you in half court offense. You, it loses you a little bit in your half court defense, but you bring in Wildens and, and Jalen who are going to develop and then Pat and, and Javon Benson um, who are going to develop as well. Those are some athletic guys that should be able to help you down low. Um, not as much as Mike, maybe, but they're going to really help you on the offensive end as well. What's seventh role going to be on this team? Still TBD. Uh, <clears throat> I think they're going to use him probably off the bench to start. Um, now, if someone struggles or whatever, then, he could start, but I don't foresee him starting. Um, he's going to be really, really good defensively. Um, I did some interviews the other week with um, some of the South Carolina assistant coaches, and they raved about seventh's defensive ability, um, guarding the ball. Um, and if he can give you that kind of defensive continuity that you need in a Frank Martin team, he's going to have a big role. Uh, I think he's going to be Maybe your first guard off the bench um, with Trey Hannibal um, battling for that spot as well. But he can get to the rim. He can facilitate. His shot's gotten a lot better. They had to kind of break that down and and rework that from the bottom up. Um, But he's going to have a role, and I think it's going to be defense first, and then the offensive game will come with it. So Carolina could have the option to play a defensive lineup and probably one that would be decent offensively too. But if you're going all defense, if you need to stop of seventh was Jermaine Cousinard, Keyshawn Bryant, Justin Minaya, and Wilden Levesque, or depending on the matchup, maybe even go with a three guard lineup because there, I, I kept being surprised at the amount of teams that were playing three guards in the SEC this year. Like I, I know that basketball's more spread out and more shooting and, and things like that, but it just it felt like we saw a lot of that this year. But you could throw out a seventh Woods, Trey Hannibal, Jermaine Cousinard, Keyshawn Bryant, Justin Minaya defensive lineup that. I don't know, would probably only allow like 107 points per 100 possessions against an NBA team? Yeah, pretty much. I mean, it's they're going to be, however they want to play next year, they have the talent to do it. They have different versatile pieces that are able to do that. Now, if I want to play devil's advocate, which I do, that you was... devil's advocate? <laughs> yeah, I know, right? N- unheard of. For me, that was part of the problem for South Carolina this year is that they were not able to settle into an identity and maybe the fact that they didn't have an identity in terms of like like sometimes they wanted to run sometimes they you know weren't scoring enough in the early part of the season that they, they wanted to run that they wanted to speed the game up and then and there were games where they, it felt like they wanted to limit possessions by the end of the season you kind of knew what they were doing and a lot of it had to do with personnel but what's the line between having versatility in the different ways that you can play but like losing your identity in the process versus we just play this one way. We don't play any other way, but we're really, really good at playing this one way. I think that, and you've seen it with Frank is that when they have different styles that they can play that there's still some core principles there. They play fast. Um, they set a lot there. They set a lot of ball screens. Um, that's not going to change. Um, they play really good defense. That's, again, not going to change. So I think that those principles are going to stay the same. We're going to still see a lot of ball screens. You're still going to see the ball get into the paint in the half court. Um, even if it's four, you know, four out, one in, two out, you know, two, three out, two in, um, you're going to see the ball touch the paint. Um, and then it's just a matter of how often do you get out able to run in transition. Um, for South Carolina, you want to do that a lot, but if not, then you go back to reverting towards that half-court offense of ball screens, getting in the paint, get to the rim, um, 
but they're able to play fast if they want to. It's not like they're going to wig out like you saw with Virginia last year where South Carolina got out and pushed the pace and Virginia didn't answer. They're able to kind of adapt to how the game's being played, the tempo of it, um, and I think they're better equipped to do that than a lot of other teams in the country. Do we know what South Carolina's schedule is in 2020-2029? No, not yet. Nothing officially. I know they play at North Alabama, um, and then they're going to Kansas City to play a game, um, to play either TC. It's like a combination of TCU, Cal, and Northwestern out in Kansas City. They're going to North Alabama? Yeah, it's like a two-for-one. They're Tony Pujols, a big, you know, they're good friends with Frank Martin, so we gave him a, I think, a two-for-one. Well, I remember them coming to Columbia, obviously, earlier this year, and it was almost like which coach could be more animated on the sideline, and it was actually just that night that I learned that North Alabama was actually a Division One school. I had no idea because I've never heard of them before. Do you have any idea what their arena seats? Uh... No, but we're going to find out. We are going to find out. It's like the football team going to App State. It's like it's it's just going from the Colonial Life Arena or williams Price Stadium to whatever those stadiums are, uh, arenas well, like, are. I mean, they played a uh, – it seats 4,000. Okay. Um, so Carolina fans, y'all can pack that out if you want to take a trip to North Alabama, wherever that is. So part of the conversation is obviously going to be who do they play, and, of course, with college basketball, the – frustrating and in some ways wonderful because it gives us just an endless amount of ways and thing ways to discuss and things to discuss a team's eligibility and how much they deserve to be in the tournament discussion at the end of the season because there's no standardization of scheduling and it's like oh well you know they had a lot of losses but they played a lot of tough teams it's like oh well they had a lot of wins but they just played a bunch of cupcakes so how do you strike the balance for that I guess we will find out a little bit later in the spring or in the summer when does the schedule officially come out when should we look for that it's usually like June, July, August is when they kind of finalize all that stuff. Okay. Um, right. So a couple months Yeah. before yeah. we know, before we can start to make some more solid predictions based on South Carolina's schedule and things like that. But early indications are positive, even with Jair Bolden transferring. In some ways, again, you don't want Jair Bolden to transfer because he's a really good shooter. You've seen him get hot. And not just in the Virginia game. He had other games where he would go, you know, six or seven and score 15 points. And that was, you know, the difference in Carolina winning and losing. So that, that is a, a valuable piece, not one of the most valuable pieces. It's like, you know, a fifth or sixth most valuable piece on the team last year. But if you say, all right, Jair Bolden's going to transfer and AJ's going to leave or AJ's going to come back, you're going to pick AJ coming back. Uh, I don't know. Again, if Joe Lenardi was factoring the likelihood that AJ Lawson comes back even into his 2021 prediction that, South Carolina would make the tournament. I, I don't know if, if you know one way or the other or have an idea what he was thinking there, but the expectations are high this year, and the expectations were high last year, and Carolina fans kind of found themselves disappointed by the end of the season. Yeah, I mean, I think that it's right to feel disappointed. Um, but I think that as you get more and more away from what this year was and how disappointing it could have been for fans, you start to realize how good of a shape the program is in. Even if you do have Bolden and someone else transfer, the guys you have, the core group of guys, is still really, really good um, and is set up to be good for a while. Um, Frank's talked about it. Um, I, when I talked to Chuck Martin and Bruce Shingler, all of them were optimistic about it. So there is a growing belief inside the program that this – team in this program can be good for the next you know two or three or four years with this core group of guys that are you know in there right now with, with you know Keyshawn and, and AJ and Jermaine and Hannibal and Wildens and Jalen that there is significant belief that this this program can be solid for the next two or three years did you see Bruce Shingler's tweet I think it was yesterday afternoon some I can't remember who it was somebody from Duke like the somebody from Duke declared for the NBA draft and I think a lot of people were surprised and Bruce Shingler was like, wait a second, did they add a, a third round of the NBA draft? Like, what's going on here? I, that was, like, epic shot. And I don't know if it was directly at the kid from Duke or if it was just because everybody seems to be declaring for the draft right now, but I thought that was hilarious. I will say, and Bruce, I hope you're listening, um, Bruce is one of my favorite followers on Twitter because he is hilarious. Um, he also tweeted, Zoom workouts for scouts are next, <laughs> um, which I find hilarious. Um, Bruce is a funny guy and I'll give him a lot of, I will say that I, cause I know he listens. Bruce is one of the funnier followers on Twitter. There you go. What is, is he just at Bruce Shingler 
I'm looking right now. Like I, I saw, Coach, yeah, just it's like Coach Bruce USC or something Coach like that. Bruce USC. Oh, oh. <clears throat> yeah, I'm glad we're doing this remotely. Yeah, yeah. Seriously, I'll uh, I'll I'll edit this out so people don't think that I have coronavirus at Coach not Coach Bruce Pearl. Uh, yeah, he is at Coach Bruce USC. If y'all want to follow, and uh, just because we're talking about it, you are at Colin Taylor with a Y. If y'all want to follow Colin Taylor for all the breaking news, because as I mentioned, we got the Jair news. We don't know one way or the other on AJ. Colin's going to have that. He's going to have it on Twitter. He's going to have it on GamecockCentral.com, where he is always, even in the offseason, even in the offseason and quarantine, pumping out content at a feverish pace. And the other thing I've got going on GamecockCentral.com, I think wrapping up here pretty soon, we're recording this Thursday morning, is the culmination of your greatest South Carolina athlete of all time, bracket the final is George Rogers versus Michael Roth certainly a worthy final and a couple of one seeds but Colin by two picks I said this person's going to win the entire bracket when y'all release the field of 64 and if not this person then it's going to be this person and neither of those people were right so were you surprised that we're here voting on a George Rogers versus Michael Roth final not this final I could have seen this final but I thought Latham were or Shaw were going to win the entire thing. Mm-hmm. But that's me. And George George ended up winning the entire thing. Oh, it's already done? Michael Roth. Yeah. Okay. Ended this morning, George Rogers is your champion. George Rogers, the greatest South Carolina athlete of all time. I don't really have any issues with that. It's hard to. He's no. the only Heisman Trophy winner in school history. He has over 5,000 rushing yards. Absolutely ridiculous. But I'm with you. I said I think Marcus Latimer is going to win the whole thing because he is beloved. And if Marcus does not win... I think it's going to be Asia Wilson, even though she's a two seed. And I don't, I'm not going to take issue with your seeding because Alex English is an NBA Hall of Famer and AJ's, AJ, Asia, Asia's career is still ongoing. So, you know, it remains to be seen where she will end up. And I know we're talking about South Carolina and you can't factor the professional career in there too much, probably would be my guess is what the intention of the exercise is. But given how loved she is, I mean, she and Marcus are probably. And look, not that anyone has anything bad to say about George, but AJ, I keep saying AJ because we talked about AJ Lawson the entire podcast. Asia and Marcus truly have a 100% approval rating, and not because nobody doesn't like them, but because everybody loves each of those players. Yes, and that's what I thought was going to boost them. I thought I thought Connor Shaw and Marcus Latimer were going to meet in the Elite Eight, and then I thought that Latimer was going to beat Shaw just because of that and frankly I thought Sundarius was going to go farther than he was now granted even he matched up against Asia in the the Sweet 16 so that doesn't help but I was shocked at how many really because your final four in football were easy you had George Rogers you had Marcus Lattimore you had Connor Sean you had Clowney Mm -hmm. I think if you're building a Mount Rushmore that's your Mount Rushmore Um, but the baseball one really threw me because you had Ross Smoke Matt Price and JBJ, mm. which really shocked me as well. Um, I thought you'd have a lot more older guys uh, just because of how, you know, fans perceive the golden age of college, you know, South Carolina baseball and um, was shocked to see so many newer guys, even though they did win two titles at the time, just shocked to see as many new guys as you had on that roster to beat out some of the old um, elite of elite yeah, a lot of recency bias in this one, and that's fine because I'm 26 and I'm participating in the recency bias. But what was the final vote on George Rogers versus Michael Roth? Because that does go counter to all the recency bias that we saw elsewhere, such as you know Earl Bass getting upset and uh, Sterling Sharp getting upset and things like that. You talking about recency bias here? Yeah, yeah. So what was uh, George won, which kind of goes against that trend where, where we saw it in a lot of other places in the bracket. But what was the final vote? Was it close? The for Ross, it was I think he won sixty six percent of the vote. Um, the one that was really close was like I think Roth beat Asia Wilson by like three total votes. Oh wow! Yeah, yeah. so that sounds that right. That was yeah. No, um, but how much did George beat Roth by? Like fifteen votes, something like that. Oh my god! So it was close. Yeah. It was like fifty one forty nine in terms of percentages. It was very close. Well, it was like it was like six sixty six to thirty five, but it was like. He beat Roth, I'm looking at now, by 35 votes. Okay, 35 votes. Man. Yeah, 35 votes. So, so. are you, you're, you're satisfied with the end result here, even though it was not your prediction? I won't say pick because 
I don't know if you were allowed to vote in your own thing, but it was against your prediction. Yeah, I think if you had told me that the final four would have been George Rogers, Asia Wilson, Michael Ross, and Clint Mathis, I would have agreed. I would have said that that's plausible, but it wouldn't have been if I was filling out a bracket. It wouldn't have been who I would have picked. That okay. makes sense. All right, so you would have had Marcus winning the whole thing. Who would you have had Marcus beating? Oof. I would have had, if I was going to fill out a bracket, I'd have Marcus in the finals. I would have, looking at my other sports, I'd probably have Terrence Trammell in the final four with Michael Roth and probably Sundarius Thornwell. Hmm. Wow. Um, Sundarius over Alex English, over Asia Wilson, and yes. Michael Roth over Matt Price, over Christian Walker, over Earl Bass, over all those guys? Yeah. Wow. Yeah. I think Roth Roth's a given. Um, I don't think Sundarius is a given, but that's some recency bias for me there. Um, I went to school with Sundarius, so. Um, there you go. Got to vote for your classmates. Yeah, and I think it would have been Rod, or Lattimore and Roth in the final, and Lattimore beating Roth. Okay. All right, so you would have gotten half of it right. My, mine would have been all jacked up. Now, the other part of this, if this were a true March Madness tournament and I said there were three one-seeds and a two-seed in the Final Four, we would think, ah, oh, that's not a very exciting tournament. There weren't enough upsets. There wasn't a Cinderella that made it to the Final Four. Do you consider that a victory because you mostly seeded these correctly, or do you wish there had been a few more random upsets and like a seven-seed in the Final? I mean, we had a few that were – I mean, we had a – Seven seed in the Elite Eight, a six seed in the Elite Eight, two six seeds in the Elite Eight. Um, we had a 12 seed, a couple of 12 seeds, um, double digit seeds in the Sweet 16. So there were enough upsets. But see, the thing about the tournament that I really love is you get all these upsets into the Sweet 16, but when you get to the Elite Eight, you want your ones, you want your twos, you want your threes to get the good matchups. So I think it was a successful tournament. Um, I think the seeding was done pretty darn well if i do say so myself mm-hmm. um even if bj Mackey disagrees i think it was i think it was really good hey i i reached out to bj i have explained the situation and he completely understands so <laughs> okay good i mean so it, I it really hear. is like like no disrespect to him but seriously like asia wilson really has a, a claim for the greatest south carolina athlete I, I think without a doubt she's the most decorated south carolina athlete in the history of the entire school alex english as i mentioned an NBA Hall of Famer, he's you know somewhere on the all-time scoring list. The people ahead of B.J. Mackey are no slouches. You know that's no disrespect to B.J. Yeah, and the thing about it is, as we combine the basketball regionals, um, now if he if it was just a men's basketball, he'd probably be three or four, a three or four seed. Um, but because the men's side were the odd seeds and the women's side were the even seeds in that regional, he gets bumped down to nine because of it. So it looks mm-hmm. worse than it really is. Yeah. Um, but being a nine seed means that he's the number four overall seed on the men's side of things. Um, so I just want to clear that up, that mm-hmm. he's really a number four seed, but just has to be a nine because of the, the odd even structure to it. It's why Devin Downey's a 13 seed. It's mm-hmm. why Tiffany Mitchell's, you know, you know what I mean? So it's, it, it's not like I'm sitting here like, I, I really hate B.J. Mackey. <laughs> so, you know, I don't, and I did not want to slight him in any way, shape, or form. So if we dig into the methodology a little bit more, I'm really glad that you had other sports represented, and of course, having soccer represented in Clint Mathis is tremendous, but realistically, no one from that quadrant had a chance to beat an Asia Wilson, an Alex English, a Michael Roth, an Earl Bass, a George Rogers, a Marcus Lattimore, just because of the, I mean, just frankly, the hierarchy, the popularity of sports here. So if you were to do this again, if we have COVID-20 and it knocks us out next spring and you'll have to do another bracket and you do basically the same thing, would you instead have a separate men's and women's basketball quadrant so that you could have a Final Four of Michael Roth, Marcus Lattimore, Sundarius Thornwell, and Asia Wilson? Potentially. That's a good idea. Let's hope we don't have to come to that. But <laughs> yeah, right. Maybe potentially. I'll give you that. I'll give you a maybe potentially. Maybe potentially. Wow, that sounds really committal. Um, yeah. I had one more methodological question and I can't remember exactly what it was because I didn't write it down because I am not a professional at least not today um, overall you can, oh oh no I, I remember it now okay the BJ Mackey the BJ Mackey BJ Mackey seating was the inspiration for this thought would you also go back and intentionally misseed some players to have 
like a four seed in the I, I, I know it doesn't matter. Like if George Rogers was a four seed in the final four, you wouldn't say, oh, wow, you got a four seed in the final four. You'd be like, wow, George Rogers was underseeded. But just for the sake of it looks fun or it looks funny or it looks different, would you intentionally like mix up some seeding? Who says they didn't do that already? Ooh, all right. Who? What Are you saying Marcus should have been the one seed? No, that's not what I'm saying at all. I'm just saying you get to go back and look and see if Colin put some guys lower than he might have thought to put them to see if they, he, could, he could get them to the, uh, I don't know, maybe Sweet 16 or Elite 8. Oh, okay. Oh, I see. I see. To, to, to kind of finagle the matchups. You did some gerrymandering on this. I, yeah, I love this. A this is, okay, good. I, I was just assuming you did this as a pure exercise, but you were already deep into the gamesmanship. So that, that does make me really happy. Well, um, thanks so much to everyone that voted on the Fighting Game Talk form. It was free. And I hope while you were there, you perused and enjoyed some of the other things going on on Gamecock Central. Again, plenty of content. I mean, articles and podcasts. And Wes and Chris are doing quarantine talks. And we're doing the hard foul. And Will Helms and I have been doing a draft guide for the upcoming NFL draft. So there's tons of stuff on Gamecock Central. If you're not a subscriber, you should be. And as I mentioned, the Fighting Gamecock Forum is the free forum. That's where you could vote on the bracket. And it, hopefully it was a good introduction for you. If you want to be an insider and you can use the insiders forum and weigh in on the thread for this podcast and some of the mailbags that we do for another Carolina podcast and things like that, you need to be a subscriber to Gamecock Central. So do that. And uh, Colin, I'll have to let you go here in just a minute because you were about to record an interview that I will not spoil, but I will say with a recent former Gamecock that South Carolina fans will be excited to hear. And you said that's coming out early next week. That is the, that is the hope if I can get it all transcribed and, um, worked up for you guys so this yeah this will be a transcription it won't just be you posting the interview in the gamecock central podcast network it's going to be an article yeah. on gamecockcentral.com that presumably you will have to be a subscriber to read no i believe this one's going to be free a free one. Oh my gosh colin you do you're so welcome. much work and you just give it to the people for free like this podcast you're, welcome. you're so you're generous welcome. incredible uh well because this podcast is free we do ask one small favor of all of you listening and that is that you rate review Subscribe to this podcast and share it with your friends because that's a great way to support the podcast. Let us know that you're listening. And we want all your feedback. You know, leave it in a review. Tweet at us, at Colin Taylor with a Y, at Pearson Fowler on Twitter. If you have any feedback, if you're happy that we kept doing the podcast, if you think it's stupid and we need to change something, or if you have any suggestions for anything you want to hear us do during the offseason, during quarantine, other than continue to speculate about the future of A.J. Lawson and then eventually have Colin break some news about that and then discuss it on this podcast. Other than that, uh, let us know. Colin, we are going to do our food journals at some point in the next couple of weeks. I'm going to give you a heads up so that you and Chris can prepare for that. And, of course, we'll have to get Chris in the podcast to get his two cents as well. But when you're traveling and eating, are you keeping live journals uh, other than sort of what you post on Twitter? Or are you going to have to just like going back in your brain to remember where and what you ate when we do this food journal? I mean, pictures usually help tell the story for me. Um but no, it's all it's all of memory. If it's not good enough for me to remember it, it's not that good. All right, that's a great way to think about it. Will you give us a, just like a little bit of a teaser for for this food podcast? Just tell us about one particularly memorable meal that you ate on the road, either for the baseball team or for the basketball team or for the football team this year. Um, when we went to Texas A and M, uh, well, I went to Texas A and M, Mark Kingston's first year. Um. We got, I got barbecue. Um, it is still by far the best barbecue I've ever had uh, in an old uh, converted Chinese restaurant. So it looked like a Chinese restaurant on the inside. Um, you go to a window and you do not order by the plate. You order by the half or full pound. Mm. And that is how you know it's a good barbecue place. Mm -hmm. And it is by far the best barbecue place I've ever been to in my entire life. So the fun part about the – well, there, there's going to be two fun parts about this. The – I guess uh, ostensible purpose for doing this is just an opportunity for you and Chris to tell some fun stories and to talk about food, which we enjoy doing. But also it's going to end up doubling as sort of like a travel guide for anybody that's going to any of these away games for South Carolina, basketball, football, and baseball games. Or if you're just in the area, it's going to end up being like a, you're basically doing a local, like just Southeast version of parts unknown with Anthony Bourdain or, or what's eating Phil or something like that. Do you watch those shows? A little bit, not a whole lot, but I got my own food journals that I can worry about. Yeah, nice. the Colin Taylor Food Diaries. That's what we're gonna. That's what we're gonna call it. That's gonna be your cookbook one day, or your travel guide, or whatever it is. 
Uh, but in any case, be on the lookout for that. We're going to do it in the next couple weeks. Again, thank you all so much for listening. Don't forget to tune in to Gamecock Central, Podcast Network, and the.com for all the great content that they and we are pumping out during quarantine. And like I said, look forward to Colin's interview with a recent former Gamecock men's basketball player early next week. And it's going to be free. So really looking forward to hearing that. Uh, For Colin, I'm Pearson. Thanks again so much for listening. We'll talk to you next week. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to Chumbacasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.